0: City. And so today's speaker, his name is Drew Bennett. Uh, I'm really excited to have him here. He is the pastor of Redeemer City Church in Winter Haven, Florida, and he is also the executive director of the Florida Church Planting Network. I've had a chance to get to know him a little bit, and I think he is going to bless you this morning with his word. So I'm going to pray for him as he comes up to speak. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this beautiful weather and the opportunity to worship you this morning. Thank you so much for being a good and gracious father. God, I pray that as we listen to today's message, uh, that we would be encouraged in ways that we can serve the kingdom, both locally and across the entire world. I pray for Drew, that the message that you have prepared on his heart, God, that it reaches so many people, that it reaches everybody in this room and everybody who is listening online pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sir. So good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, Thank you for that introduction. I wanted to do a little bit of that myself. My name is Drew, uh, and I am a pastor in Winter Haven, Florida. And this is a little bit, just a snapshot of my life. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Ashley, 24 years tomorrow, actually. So that's, yeah. I am babyface, so you might imagine. We did not get married when we were 13. We got married when we were, uh, well, the weekend after we graduated from Florida State University. We have four kids who we expect all of them to become Seminoles. Two of them are ready. One is there, and we have another one graduating this year, as you can see there, uh, but two daughters as well, so lots going on in our household. And I am the pastor at Redeemer uh, City Church in Winter Haven. It's my hometown. I was born there. And raised there and uh, by God's grace get to do ministry there. I planted this church 13 years ago. Uh, They say a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I can testify that that is the case in some degree, but it is a joy to be able to bring the gospel to the city that I love. Uh, We're known for our lakes uh, and water ski capital of the world they say, but you also might know Winter Haven as the place where Legoland Florida now exists. And so uh, it's a neat part of this of the of the state to belong to. I'm a lifelong Floridian. I've been here my whole life. In fact, my family we grew up every summer coming to Crescent Beach on vacation. And so, even this part of the state, uh, I hold dear. And so, it's just such a joy to be with you this morning. We're grateful for your partnership with us in the Florida Church Planting Network. Uh, and uh, and so, I'm just overjoyed to be here. I want to uh, I want to point you to a scripture. So, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, you can. Uh, If not, it's no worries. It's on the screen here and it's on your screen at home as well. It's this passage from Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 and going through verse 6 where Paul begins to talk about the way the gospel was exploding among these Colossian Christians and through them to the whole world. And so if you'd follow along with me, because this is a sermon, I'm going to be doing two things. I'm going to be trying to do a presentation on some of the things happening in the state and also preaching at the same time. Uh, Which is a a tall task, so pray for me if you would. But um, let's read here from these few verses in Colossians chapter 1 where Paul writes, We thank God always, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it is all, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth It's God's word for us Now I've been spying on your your um, your online services And I know that your pastors kind of give you a summary at the beginning to tell you where we're going And so let me do that as well. Here's where we're going I want to make a case for you that we desperately need a gospel outbreak in the state of florida But I also want to say to you is I believe that the mechanism for that kind of gospel movement is church planting. And so those are my two objectives this morning to describe to you our hope to see a gospel outbreak happen here and why church planting is, I believe, the mechanism for that kind of gospel movement. Now, I want all my cards on the table. By gospel movement, I really mean revival. It's a Presbyterian euphemism for revival, okay? But we mean revival, and I don't want to—I don't want us to be afraid of that word, revival. We should not be afraid of it. And the verses here in Colossians one are a great summary of what I mean by that. They're a summary of the book of Acts. There's similar language in both places. So Paul describes here, verse six. Do you see that? The gospel bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world among these. Colossian Christians, and then throughout the whole world. Uh, It's almost the exact same language in the book of Acts. In Acts, Luke uses words like the word continued to increase and multiply and prevail mightily as the gospel just went to war with the culture of that day. You know, in Romans 1, Paul calls or claims the gospel is the power of God for salvation, that it's spiritual dynamite. And that the nature of the gospel then is that it is continually breaking out. And that's what you see in Acts. Acts is the story of the church in revival, it's the story of a church planting movement. Because biblically and historically, the two go hand in hand. And that's really been my experience as well. Is, um, well, let me go back here my experience in church planting has been that in many cases when churches are planted they're planted through a genuine experience of revival as i said i planted in my hometown we met in the first year or so of our church in the in the fine arts auditorium of the high school that i graduated from because i'm pretty connected there our first sunday we had 235 people come now that sounds really impressive there were only 100 the second sunday so don't be too impressed because we invited everybody we knew and they all came But even in the 13 short years that we've been planting we've seen the lord do amazing things we've really i would say we've experienced a genuine a genuine movement of revival we've seen dozens and dozens of our friends and family come to faith we've seen ministries that are benefiting the city you know come out of our church i don't say that to boast i simply say it to say that a lot of times when we talk about church planting we're talking about movements of revival it's happening there in our county polk county is not the most well-known county in the state but there in our county one church planted in 1997 in just 23 or 24 years has become nine churches that are working together for gospel saturation in the interior of the state with plans to plant 20 churches in the next 20 years just there in our county because we believe that's the kind of movement we need to see in a place that is there's a prevailing unbelief and so when the the need for somebody to oversee and kind of help administrate the work that's being done among the florida church planting network all over the state of florida came up you know the the people in charge came to us there in polk county and said look we want to see the kind of thing that's happening here happen all over the state and so they they recruited me or they tricked me whatever word you want to use into adding to the title senior pastor of the church that i planted this title of executive director of the Florida Church Planting Network. And when we talk about the Florida Church Planting Network, we're talking about a geographical area where we're praying for a gospel outbreak, for a gospel movement to occur. The Florida Church Planting Network is made up of 45 member churches from the four different presbyteries, presbytery being a geographical region of churches in our denomination. So four presbyteries, and you'll see there. Basically, you can trace it from I ninety five down the east coast, starting in Jacksonville, across the state on I four, and then down I seventy five down the west coast, down toward Naples, Fort Myers, and so forth. That's our that's our our area. Uh, it's a large area. Our goal is to catalyze the planting of four new churches each year in this geographical area in the state of Florida, and we do this by recruiting and resourcing church planters in partnership with local churches and also presbyteries. So some of the strategies that we use, we are involved in church planter development, which goes all the way back to middle school and high school students and trying to raise awareness for the need for church planting through the campus ministries across our state and so forth. We do it by recruiting and resourcing church planters to plant these churches And we do it through assessment and training annually in order to create a genuine church planting ecosystem throughout the state of Florida where we're seeing these churches planted over and over again. In 2021, our goals for this year were, because of some of the pandemic and the the fallout of the pandemic, to plant three, not four, excuse me, that was my fault, three, not four new churches, but four new residencies or apprenticeships, which are men who are incubating towards church planting in one to two years, and then five new internships, which are men that are on a a more a, you know a longer uh, on ramp, maybe three to five years, but still thinking about church planting. So that is that gives you a little snapshot of some of what's happening among the Florida Church Planting Network. In the years that we've existed, it's about eight years now, um, here's a snapshot of the 25 churches that have been planted. The ones in blue are those that have already particularized. That's just a big word that means they have gotten to the place in the development of their church where they have their own elders and deacons, they're self-sufficient, they're self-governed, and so forth. The ones in orange there are those that are still in various developmental stages uh, where they're, they haven't quite reached the place where they have their own government and, their own, and their, own self, you know, their own self-supporting structures. So you can see, can't you, how you can trace kind of down I-95, like I said, and you see all that, all that stuff in the interior of the state, so there's a lot going on kind of along the I-4 corridor because Orlando and Tampa are filling up and everybody's kind of bunching together there as well and then down the west coast. So 25 churches over the last number of years. And this gives you a snapshot of just what church planting looks like in case you've forgotten. Did you know you could do church planting at the beach? Do you say waypoint? How about that? That's, that's right here. That's just a little bit north of you guys. Uh, and then um, that's in Nakati basically is where they are and then you see churches meeting in schools and so forth and so it's a lot of fun to see church planting but the reality is is when we when we say a gospel movement, we mean this sort of thing but but the truth is we're only getting started and so that little the little graphic on the left there is is a picture that shows you churches throughout the state that are actively looking for residencies or they're looking to fill residencies or apprenticeships. Good News is one of those. So I'm trying to help you find a church planting residency that could be here and be incubating here in your church for the sake of being able to plant a church somewhere else in the state. And So there are quite a few churches doing that. And then when people call and say, hey, I want to plant a church in Florida, where can I go? I literally tell them, just take a map and close your eyes and go like this. And wherever your finger lands, we need a church there. I want to convince you of that. You might not believe that. You might think there's a church on every corner. Well, hold on. We'll get to that in a minute. But here are just a few places you can see, some of the places where we're really at Popka, uh, New Smyrna Beach, Fernandina Beach, places over in the Tampa area, around USF, down into Naples and so forth. And so that's just a little bit about what's happening uh, with the Florida Church Planting Network. Now, what I want to do this morning is we take that and also try to talk about a gospel movement, I want to show you a number of things. First, why we need a gospel movement like I'm trying to describe to you, like you see the beginnings of here in these in these slides I've shown you. Why we need it, and secondly, the obstacles to it, and thirdly, what we mean, let's define it, a definition for it, and then lastly, I want to leave you with the promise of the power, the power to accomplish uh, what we've set out to do by God's grace, that God's power ultimately is is the power that we need. Okay? And so let's walk through this text and also kind of through my presentation along those four headings, beginning with just why we need a gospel movement. And here I want to step back from the text and just talk about some things going on across the country and also in the state of Florida. And I'm going to throw a bunch of stats at you. Travis told me to do this. If stats aren't your thing, you can blame him, not me. I'm just the messenger. Okay? So, if you think about just some statistics of some things that are happening, I know that's really small. On my computer screen, it was really big, so I apologize about that. But uh, one thing I want to just start with is that crisis is an accelerator. There are a number of trends already present in our country that, that the pandemic has put into warp speed, and one of those is the, re- is the oncoming reality of post-Christianity. We are quickly entering into post-Christianity here in this nation uh, and even in the state. And you see this in the results that the, the data that's coming out from polls that are being taken and so forth, like a recent Gallup poll that made its way around pastor types like me, which showed that for the first time in the history of our country, for the first time, at least since they've been doing this sort of thing, since 1930, for the first time, less than half of Americans claim that they are members of a religious organization like a church. But here's the thing just 20 years ago, so in the year 2000, that number was 70%. And if you look back at the trend from 1930 to the year 2000, it basically held steady at about 70%. It would climb to 73, go down to 67, something like that. But for the better part of 70 years, religious trends for the most part stayed pretty steady. And then in 2000, we hit a cliff. And from 2000 to 2020, the number's gone from 70 plus percent to 47 percent now what does that mean we're not really sure but it does mean that something significant is happening and i think it means we're sliding into post-christianity rather rapidly And the pandemic over the last year or so has only accelerated that now i want to make the case that in in many ways the spiritual decline that we're seeing can be traced to waning church planting efforts in all of evangelicalism, this is across the country, okay? Across the country, we are netting less than 300 churches every year, new churches. That means if you take the number of church plants that are being, that are being started and you subtract the number of churches that are closing due to aging or whatever the case might be, that number is only around 300. We're, on, we're only gaining 300 new churches every year. That's alarming. It's worse in our denomination. In our own denomination, we're planting about 40 churches every new year. Every year. That might sound encouraging, except you have to remember that we're closing 35 or so. And so we are only netting about five new churches all across the country, which is why our growth rate as a denomination has slowed to less than 1% annually. We used to boast that we were one of the fastest growing denominations in the country. That is no longer the case and all of that is before the pandemic the data on the impact of the pandemic is that as many as 25 percent of all churches in the country could close permanently either immediately or within the first the next few years because of the hardship of the past 18 months this is significant this should rouse us to action now if you think about Florida, let's talk about Florida for a minute. When you think about Florida, Florida is particularly strategic in the landscape not only of our nation, but of the world. I'm a native Floridian, as I said. I've lived here all of my life, and just about every August or September, I question my life choices, right? <laughs> Anybody else? You with me? We go to North Carolina every, every October, and it's really a cruel joke to pull because we go there, and it's beautiful weather, and every year on the drive back, knowing that I'm leaving Mountain Air to come back to sweat on Halloween as we walk around my neighborhood when it's supposed to be fall, you know, I, I have this conversation with myself every year. Why do I live in Florida? Why do I live in Florida? And, I, and it really is like a crisis of faith for me. And then just a couple of years ago, you know, the Lord really, the Lord really met me as everybody else in my car was sleeping probably, and I was driving, and saying, probably somewhere around like, somewhere around, I don't know, Savannah, Georgia. Why do I live in Florida? What are, and the answer came, because that's where the people are. Because you're in the soul business, and that's where the souls are. And that's true. And so if you want to make a difference for the gospel, and I do, believe me, I'm an Enneagram 3, I'm a high- Achiever type person. If you want to make a difference for the gospel, there's no better place in the world to live than right here. I'll tell you why. Native Floridians, we're all, at least we joke, I don't think we really mean it, but we all talk about wanting to get out and leave, but everybody else wants to get in. Right? Everybody else is trying to get in. A thousand people a day are moving to our state. Did you know that? And that was pre COVID 19. Now, if you look at the shakeup, there, there, you know, there are, I don't even know what the number is now, but people are leaving states in the Midwest and the Northeast and California and everybody wants to come to Florida. And I was, I was talking with somebody, I said, you know, a thousand people a day are moving in and somebody said, yeah, they're all moving right here to St. Augustine. <laughs> and I said, every community in the state of Florida says that exact same thing. I would tell you, it feels like they're all moving into my town. You can't even drive in my town because the people are coming here, they're flocking here. Where I live in Polk County, which is right in the middle, you know, Orlando and Tampa, if you draw a a circle with a hundred mile radius around my city, just how many people do you think that is? Just, just, Just eight million people. It's the largest population of people in the whole Southeastern United States, that 100 mile radius. It doesn't quite reach you guys, but it gets all of Tampa and Orlando and everything kind of in the middle of the state. Eight million people and growing. It's more people stacked up uh, than even the Atlanta metro area. And so this is, a, this is where the people are and people means souls. And here's the thing, when you think about that large demographic of people, you add to it that Florida is unlike the rest of the South. In most of our communities, 80 to 85% of those people are unchurched. Florida is not the deep South. You with me? Jacksonville is not Jackson, Mississippi. In Jackson, Mississippi, there are 45 of our denominational churches just in that one city. But Florida is much, much different. I mean, do this exercise. If you don't believe me, just go around your neighborhood. Hopefully you know your neighbors. Go around your neighborhood and start to say, yeah, they, you know, they go to church and I know they... And you'll find that about only two out of 10 households in your community are practicing Christians. And that includes... Roman Catholic and Latter-day Saints and Seventh-day Adventists and so forth, if you're talking about evangelicalism, it's a much, much lower number than that. And so Florida's strategic. Can you feel it? I mean, it's a strategic place to live. Now add to that, not just strategic in the, with, you know, in the scope of the country, but in the whole world, the nations are coming to Florida. One million Puerto Ricans now live in our state. And a lot of that was even increased because of the a hurricane a few years back. In the Kissimmee area, if you're familiar at all, kind of down my way, right around Disney, a little bit south of Orlando, in Osceola County, we don't have a single denominational church in that entire county. In the Kissimmee area, Poinciana, Four Corners, there's this kind of big area there where the numbers say that the population there is 75 to 80% Spanish-speaking. By the way, do you know how many Spanish-speaking churches we have as a denomination in the entire country. We have 20 churches in the entire country that are Spanish-speaking. We've got work to do. And I, so I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to come, to come to you and say, we're sending a Mexican-American man in there to plant a church. We've been praying and praying and praying. And there's a Puerto Rican family that's a part of a church kind of right outside of that that's preparing to go out in two to three years because we need a dozen churches. You're talking about... 250 to 350,000 people just in this tiny little area there who speak Spanish. No gospel churches. Roman Catholicism and others, but no gospel churches. And so the nations are coming. And so you see, you see the, the vast population in the great need. And here's what I would say to you is church planting is an incredibly effective evangelism strategy because church plants are much more effective in outreach and evangelism than established churches are over 15 years. What happens to churches is, is as you get established, then you got to start worrying about buildings and programs and all of this kind of stuff, whereas church plants can be singly focused on evangelism, and they typically are. They're way more, way more effective in evangelism than established churches are. I can give you one piece of anecdotal evidence. In 2019, our church, we're a multi-congregational church like you, At the time, we had 28 professions of faith in our church. We were proud of, we're not as big as you are, and so that was a big number for us until I started to realize that the congregation that that I was pastoring was responsible for seven of those 28. We have about 300 people on a Sunday morning. The little tiny church plant that we planted that had about 75 people or 100 people, 21 of the 28 professions of faith came from them. Because church plants are effective in evangelism. why we need to keep planting churches so why do we need a gospel movement because of all of this because there's such the strategic nature of the state and because of how effective church planting is towards our goals for evangelism so we're praying and working for a gospel movement but secondly and now we come back to the text a little bit I want you to see and understand some of the obstacles that we need to be praying that we can overcome that we need to ask God to help us to overcome to see these things come to fruition And and here Paul describes the gospel bearing fruit first among the Colossians themselves. And so he says, verses 3 through 5, if you look there again, if you have it in front of you. We always thank God, he says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And so you have faith, hope, and love there, the so-called theological virtues. Now, take the opposite of each of those and you you will see some of the obstacles that have to be overcome for this kind of gospel outbreak to happen in our state the opposite of fear being or excuse me the opposite of faith being fear or unbelief and unbelief is just when your circumstances are the big deal and God is not when your circumstances determine whether you have peace whether you're living with peace and joy and so forth and not your theology what ha- god becomes Peripheral to your vision because you're consumed with other things, with the circumstances you're going through. And that can be an obstacle that has to be overcome. The opposite of hope is discouragement. Losing heart, right? Becoming cynical and resigned to the way things are. Saying things like, there's no use trying to make any difference. Nothing ever changes. It is what it is. That is my... I hate that phrase. You want to get me riled up? My, my, my people in my church will do it just to get on my nerves. It is what it is. No. No. The, the gospel is the power of God. Nothing is what it is. Nothing ever is what it is. We serve a God of resurrection. And so we can be discouraged, though, and because life is hard and full of sad things, and it's easy to become overwhelmed and lose your courage. And it comes from not being aware of the moment we're in. I mean, it's easy to look at the world and, and think that evil has the upper hand, but that's the discouragement talking. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of movies, I use them a lot in sermons at my church, but uh, one of my favorite movies when I was a bit younger was I mean, despite Keanu Reeves being the, the star in it was the Matrix movies, if you've seen them, and if you're not, spoiler alert, I'm sorry to kind of ruin it for you, but here's the basic plot line of the story. For an hour and 45 minutes, the good guys are on the run from the bad guys, but then what happens is there's a hero, there's a champion, there's a Christ figure, and he's killed by the bad guys, but he doesn't stay dead. Does this sound familiar? He rises from the dead. And in rising from the dead, the whole tide is changed. For an hour and 45 minutes, the bad guys have been running from the good guys. For the rest of the movie, guess what? For an hour and 45 minutes, the good guys have been running from the bad guys. For the rest of the movie, the bad guys are running from the good guys. And if you're discouraged, it's because you don't realize where in the story you are. We are in the part of the story where evil is on the run because Jesus is alive. Okay? The bad guys are not running from the good guys. It may feel, I'm getting that confused. I'm I'm making a mess of this. The good guys are not running from the bad guys. You with me? We serve a risen savior. The bad guys are on the run. Don't forget that. Be full of hope. But then the opposite of love is selfishness. I'm gonna look out for me. I'm gonna do what's good for me. And that's what fear and discouragement do to you. In church planting, requires people in churches that are willing to live sacrificially and give to their own hurt. That's what it takes. And so if you want to think about where repentance might start for you this morning, for you, because it might start with you. Paul's talking to these Colossians about something that's happening in the whole world, but he's talking to these people, and to you I would say, this is where our repentance begins, to examine our own lives for unbelief and discouragement and selfishness and to turn away from them, because a gospel movement begins when the Spirit fills people like these Colossians with faith that overcomes fear, and hope that overshadows discouragement, and love that overpowers selfishness. Faith, hope, and love. And if you're a Christian, see, to one degree or another, all three of those are operating in your life, because they all go together. They're all there all at the same time. But Paul here is describing an experience of these fruits of the gospel, not just being present, but look there in verse 6. But he says, the gospel is bearing fruit, and it's growing. It's increasing. It's overflowing. It's spilling out. In other words, for Christians, there's a baseline. For churches, there's a baseline of faith, hope, and love. But then there are times when The Spirit of God comes when He chooses to work in your life or in a church, and those things go beyond the range of your normal experience, and they get intensified. Your faith gets intensified. Your your hope gets intensified. Your, Your love, you might be struggling with people that are hard to love, and then all of a sudden there's this new power, this new energy, and suddenly you're bursting with love in a way that you weren't before. And that's what Paul's describing here is these times of revival where faith or hope or love get intensified and start to spill out. I mean, you tell me. Think about this analogy. At your weakest moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in him, if you're resting in the work that he's done for you, at your weakest moment, at your most faint, you're not an empty cup. You're not an empty cup. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have faith, hope, and love. You have the Spirit, and if you have him, you have all of him. You're filled with him. And you tell me, if you fill an empty cup, then the cup is what? Full, right? If you fill an empty cup, it becomes full. But what happens if you fill an already full cup? It starts to overflow. And that's what Paul is describing. He's describing a people that began a movement, a people full of faith, hope, and love being filled. Until they start to overflow. And the fruit of their life started to go to the rest of the world. And it will happen to you periodically through your life. But when it happens to a group of people, when it happens to a churches, or when it happens to a group of forty five churches in a state at one time, you know what that's called? It's called revival. And it results in bold evangelism and ultimately church planting. And that's what we're asking god for that's what we're after paul is describing this overflow of faith hope and love in the world and from the record of acts we know that the result was a church planting movement and we've seen this in our movement as well i want to tell you some success stories as we come to a close this morning at times churches are planted because of an increase of faith if you see um the the city church logo there with the rooster uh, my friend Justin Woodall is playing the church in St. Petersburg. In St. Petersburg, in Pinellas County, over a million people, uh, less than 5% of them, are affiliated with a, with a, with a religious organization in any sense. Uh, we have four denominational churches there before he went in. Together, they numbered less than 200 people on a Sunday. And yet, this hard place, my friend Justin went in there all by himself, and in two weeks, I'll be at his church because... They're ordaining their elders because the Lord has just done amazing things with them. But it took him going into a really hard place and saying, Lord, I'm going to believe in faith that you can come and work like you haven't in this place in a long time, and God's doing it. And it's such a neat thing to see. Some, you can clap, that's fine. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Sometimes, though, it's an overflow of hope. I have a friend, Stephen Speaks. If you see the seven rivers, the villages, if you can make out the villages there, anybody know what the villages is? The villages is this crazy thing where I-75 hits the turnpike uh, just south of Ocala. It's the largest, um, the largest retirement population in the country, and it is just growing. It's exploding. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, 55 and up there. And I have a friend who decided that pandem- a pandemic is the best time to start a church plant. And so he moved his family in there about a year ago, and they're doing it. Because he believes that there's a future that God is, is taking us to that is that is better than whatever difficulty we might have to go through in order to get there. So pray for that church in the villages. That's a big deal. We, we need 10 churches in that area. There are no churches there. Sometimes it's an increase of love. It's just this overflowing love. So there's a presbytery in the south part of the state that figured out that there is a Russian immigrant population in Northport, Florida. You, did you know that? I didn't. There's this massive population of Russian-speaking people around Northport. And this presbytery saw this group of people and this this church planter, Alexei Zerlev, who's trying to get a church going there. And because they just fell in love with these people, they got behind them. And now our network is behind them. They're they're planting. Do you see the the Russian language over there? Covenant of Grace Church in Point. So it may be an overflow of faith, it may be an overflow of hope, it may be an overflow of love. But as these things begin to overflow, that is when revival happens and the result is often a church planting movement. But lastly, I want to finish here. How does this gospel movement happen? Where does the power come from from this? And it happens when you come to terms with the fact that Christianity is grace. When does this overflow happen in your life? It's when you just come face-to-face with the reality that Christianity is grace. That's what Paul said here. He says, faith, hope, and love in you overflowing. And then he goes on to say, on the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth. Friends, Christianity is gospel. It's not advice. It's not moral teaching. It's good news about what God has done in Jesus, in history, to save us. Jesus Christ lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserve to die So that we can have our sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. And he was raised. And he's ascended to heaven. And he has sent the Spirit to make us a new creation. But the truth is, he did everything and we did nothing. Right? Amen? He did everything and we did nothing. It's grace. And grace means that there's no connection between your performance, good or bad, and your status with God. On your best days, you're not beyond the need of his grace. On your worst days you're not beyond the reach of his grace. And when that starts to settle on your heart, that's when the power comes. Martin Luther said, until a man is nothing, God can make nothing of him. (laughs) Until a man is nothing, God can make nothing out of him. And that's the lesson of grace. You don't become a Christian until you realize you can't do it in your own strength and you stop trying and you look to Jesus to save you. And then comes Grace, then God comes with his righteousness, then he comes with his power. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's written a lot about revival, he said that there is so little power in Christianity because the dominant theology, whether intentionally or unintentionally, causes us to rely upon ourselves. But the power comes when we become aware of our nothingness. And we have no other choice. We stop relying upon ourselves and we turn to God instead. And this is why you see the early Christians at the beginning of the book of Acts, all that happened in the book of Acts... At the very beginning, do you remember what they were doing? How did it start? He said there's power coming. He said this isn't going to be your power. I'm going to send the Spirit. There's power coming. And so you, you just need to pray. You see them praying. Because the gospel outbreak in Acts began with prayer. Because Christianity from beginning to end is grace. And so the lesson is this. We need a work of God. I hope I've convinced you of that. We need it here, right here. I'm so grateful for what you're doing all over the world. Don't forget about Florida. We need a work of God here, and we can't make it happen. <laughs> That's the dilemma we're in. The wind of the Spirit blows here and there, wherever He wishes. John three says, and we can't control it, we can't manipulate it, we can't predict it, we can't manage it, but we can't miss it. Let's don't miss it. And so we are, as a network, we are setting our sails. That's what we're doing. We're setting our sails so that the wind, that wind, the wind of God's Spirit begins to blow we're ready. And you can help us. Help us in these ways. And then I'm done. I've gone too long. I apologize. But here, listen, good news uh, has been a key partner for our network. Thank you. God bless you. You've have, you have been such a blessing. And I can't tell you um, the fruit that has come from your investment in us. Continue to prioritize church planting both locally and globally, but realize the need here is just as great as the need in places around the world and pray. Would you pray? Please pray. Pray for a gospel outbreak and stay informed about church planting in Florida through uh, us. You can go to our website there. It's www.flchurchplanting. It's in the very back of your book that you were given this morning as well. You can sign up to receive a quarterly newsletter that will let you know what's going on with the churches so you can pray. You can follow us on Facebook. That would be a big uh, blessing to us. And then share and like our content because that gets the word out. But just help us. We want to see a gospel explosion in the state of Florida. Amen but it's something the Lord must do himself, and so we should pray. So let's pray. So Father, we pray that you would come and do something like what we've seen you do in the past. Would you do it again? Would you do it here in this place that we love? For whatever reason, you seem to be bringing people to this part of the world, and you have us here, which means we're called to meet the challenges of that that movement of your spirit. And so I pray for this church for faith, hope, and love to be growing and multiplying and overflowing into this county, into other parts of the the city, into places in Jacksonville and beyond where they might seek to plant churches. But I pray for it all over our state so that a gospel outbreak might happen here, so that you might make yourself famous here, so that your name and your renown might be known, that all of the nations of the earth which are already gathered here in Florida, might come to know you. That's our hope and our desire, and so we pray. We ask you to do this work that we cannot do in our own, but you can. And so do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.